This episode of Futurismo is brought to you by EY's automotive and transportation sector, the global leader in delivering innovative, pragmatic solutions to enhance mobility. To learn more about EY's commitment to building a better working world, please visit www.ey.com automotive. Welcome to Futurismo, automotive news podcast on the drive towards tomorrow. My name is Shraz Ahmed, and today we're going to start with a segment from a local radio morning show in the Detroit area. 96.3 WDVD. A lot of these jobs that they're talking about in this article, you know, the 38% of our jobs, a lot of them have to do with transportation. That stupid automated car thing is not a good idea. Yeah, bring it to me. I'm ready. No. Let's do it. I think it's a bad idea. idea. Why? This recent episode of the Blaine Fowler Morning Show was an illuminating look into how some everyday Michiganders feel about self-driving cars. Take this one caller. Um, As drivers, we make decisions all day long about how to manage the traffic around us, and I don't think a computer is going to do that. What happens if there's a guy at the side of the road trying to change his tire, and he's hanging into the lane? Mm. As a driver, you make that choice to move around him, Will a computer do that, or will a computer choose to stay straight and hit the guy? It's frightening. It is a little scary. I'll be honest. I don't know all the answers either. But I do know that if we want self-driving cars to be the solution to preventable traffic deaths, congestion, and long commutes, the technology itself will need to reassure riders with the message, you are safe and everything is under control. So far, our investigation into the art of human-centered design has led us into the past to see why one early safety technology was hated by American drivers, and into the cockpit of an airplane to see what an intuitive relationship between man and machine looks like. If you haven't heard those episodes, I'd go back and check them out. Today, we're finally going into the car. We'll meet interaction designers who test far-out ideas. We'll take a look at how Faraday Futures' FF91 EV autonomous production car will communicate with the world. And we'll find out how researchers are approaching one of the biggest challenges in automation. To begin, we're going to the 2017 CES convention, where I started my investigation. It's a sprawling tech showcase in Las Vegas, where car makers, suppliers, and startups ask the big questions about the future of cars. Whether it's about interacting with technologies like gesture, whether it is about getting into from manual mode to an automated mode. This is Prashant Halati. He's an engineer with the mega supplier Robert Bosch. I lead the center of competence for human-machine interaction, which means we keep always the user in the center of the concepts or solution that we develop. It might be old people who are terrified about sitting in a car, and we try to understand what is it that makes you terrified about that. And we try to extract principles from that. How can we make these people more comfortable? We were chatting right beside Bosch's concept show car. If you've never been to one of these conventions, you have to understand that concept cars are usually there to push the limits of what a company can achieve with technology, rather than just what's affordable. Bosch's car had all kinds of wacky technology. For instance, in between the front two seats, there was a haptic gesture control sensor so that you could wave your hands to control basic functions and actually feel tingling on your skin to know it's working. 
With futuristic technology like that, I asked Haladi how they approached the challenge of user design. We have graphical designers, we have interaction designers, we have software engineers, you know, all different um, disciplines coming together and just thinking about, hey, how would this look like in the future? And what would, what would make me comfortable in this situation? And from that, we try to derive some of the inspiration. That inspiration can take many forms. Buzzers, blinking lights, you name it. The way I think of it is that designers like Haladi are essentially creating a new language, one that uses all of our senses to send us messages. Back at CES, I continued to look for more evidence of this linguistic creation at work and ended up outside a booth in a crowd gazing onto what was probably the most talked about car at the show. Faraday Futures FF91, the buzzy vehicle from a startup car maker that wants to do everything different. So when we first started talking to them, they were uh, clearly wanted to make a statement with this vehicle, which they very successfully done. This is Kim Korth, president of Technoplas, a supplier that has developed lighting solutions for car makers such as Daimler and BMW. They've mostly worked on in-car lighting, but for the FF91, they were tasked with developing exterior lighting that doesn't just illuminate. We think of ourselves as taking lighting from being traditional, functional, help me light to read a book or see in front of the car, and really turning it into a primary interface between uh, the people and the vehicle. People are kind of scared of technology right now. There's so much going on in autonomous vehicles and and different kinds of things that, that we think that the lighting is a very comforting and a very human kind of way to communicate. Korth took me on a walk around the FF91. It's a gunmetal silver crossover that kind of has the shape of a flattened jelly bean. Technoplus integrated a long strip of lighting that runs across the bottom side paneling, around the front of the car, and to the other side. In white light, subtly illuminated diamonds based on the Faraday logo cross around the vehicle and softly fade in and out. Korth told me that this is not how it always looked. Well, it was funny because the first time we saw this, or the first iteration, my initial reaction was kind of looks like a disco ball from the 1980s. It's the combination of light and color that gives the FF91 the ability to communicate. So we can do limitless colors, we can do different patterns. You have to make it practical enough that the the consumer can see some value in it. A good example would be if you were doing a remote start for your car and you wanted to wait until the car got nice and warm, you could have the lighting you know, go red and say it's to the temperature level that you want. But Technoplus has so many more ideas. They showed me a list of potential messages they could send through light. For instance, if an autonomous FF91 is nearing a crosswalk where there are pedestrians, then the car could signal with green moving bars that it is okay to cross. Or if you're charging your FF91, green lights will shift side to side until the charge is done, and then they'll flash white. The lighting becomes a communication device, so it says whether it's in autonomous mode. It says whether or not someone has jumped out in front of the vehicle and a color goes off, you can see it. But every conversation has two sides, and the language between man and machine is no different. Which begs the question, how do we find out if these messages are even getting across? Here's Bosch's Haladi again. You have to make the users sit and experience it and then get that feedback. Because when you do user research, they have certain ideas. But when they really experience it, hey, I really did not imagine that. 
This is really cool. I would really appreciate this. Coming up, we're going to switch to the human side of this conversation. We'll look at an $80 million research project to understand how people react when they're thrown into self-driving cars. Talk about one of the biggest challenges designers face in an autonomous era and find out what the car of the future might smell like. Yep, you heard me. That's after the break. Automotive news publisher Jason Stein sat down with EY Global Automotive and Transportation leader Randy Miller to discuss how the industry is remodeling for mobility. You're participating in a couple of different uh, initiatives, some specific examples where mobility is um, directly linked. Maybe you can share some of those. Sure, we're investing heavily um, in this space. And and really, we have uh, three uh, primary offerings that we're spending uh, time on. Number one is uh, the design, build, and launch of the business models themselves to help our clients figure out what they should do uh, and then help them actually operate uh, those models. What we've also seen is a huge talent gap as part of the launch of those models. And and so what we're building uh, is a uh, talent marketplace uh, that's going to be proprietary to to EY that will allow our clients to package up uh, the key competencies that they need, uh, whether it's entrepreneurial experience, specific startup experience, or specific mobility experience, and be able to rapidly acquire that uh, talent uh, and uh, actually purchase it in, in creative ways. Third way we're, we're also participating is around helping to build uh, some of the sharing models. So we're putting together some fractional ownership um, models uh, using blockchain technology, Bitcoin technology uh, to, to really take advantage uh, of the capabilities of those technical platforms uh, to, to really have some creative uh, fractional ownership sharing to allow um, consumers to participate uh, whether they're an investor or a user or an operator. Fairly creative, and we're seeing some interesting movement on that. We're back with Futurismo, and today we are talking about how an autonomous car lets you know what it is doing. Or how an autonomous car is learning to know what the driver is doing. That's right. What, can you introduce yourself quickly? My name is Ursula Zarilli. I'm a reporter here at Automotive News. And I set out to kind of understand what automakers are facing when it comes to designing automated systems that have to hand back control to a driver. So say it's raining or there's an accident and it's time for the driver to take the wheel. The car needs to tell the driver that in a successful way for the driver to understand it and successfully re-engage. Right, especially in the early introduction of these vehicles when the technology is still kind of new, people are going to want to know that at any given time, you can take over control and things will be okay, right? Yeah, and that's the idea. Um, And that's why the University of Iowa has a whole simulator that's designed to to look at these issues. So I spoke with Daniel McGeehee. He's the director of... at the university's National Advanced Driving Simulator. And that's basically an $80 million uh, facility. It's like a basketball stadium. And inside of that facility, there's pods that participants are put in. And the pods are like the size of a vehicle. They sound like a vehicle. They use sounds to make it feel like you're in a vehicle. They're surrounded by monitors. So they're seeing what they see in a car and they're hearing what they hear. 
And they use this simulator to see how participants respond if they're in an automated system and the system regains or tells them to regain control. So you hop in a pod and they kind of shoot you around an autonomous road and all the while they're like observing what you're doing, right? And, and then, then, yeah, something goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, and then you something have to take over. Wrong. And what they're looking at is the driver and what the driver does, the response time and what the driver's like, as McGee explains. Are they aggressive drivers? Do they have abrupt braking? Uh, how do they steer? All those kinds of things uh, we can put into essentially a profile, uh, a risk profile, if you will, uh, to see if they are a person that we're going to be worried about taking over too late. And these aren't these aren't new problems, right? Like when we're when I'm driving, I'll throw on cruise control and I'll kind of shift back or kind of relax. Uh, and then when something happens, when I need to retake over, I have to figure out what I'm doing, right? And that's exactly what they're looking at is basically that moment when it's time for you to take action. How long does it take you? And, and they're trying to figure it out with like numbers. Are they looking away? Are they really re-engaging? Are their feet back down on the floor? Uh, you know, we see people folding their feet under uh, underneath their uh, legs while they drive for an extended period of time. They push the seat way back. They recline it. Uh, what are how much of that is predictable? So, the whole idea of a risk profile too is kind of interesting because if you just think about it, this is like automakers basically being able to just put you and your driving behavior into a, a category in the future. But in terms of how bad of a driver are you? <laughs> I know it worries it's kind me. Of a nice way to say. It. I don't want to talk about which category I'd fall in, but. So for the categorically bad driver, there are things they're doing to make sure they can reach those people if they're totally unengaged while they're driving. So they're tugging on the seatbelt, they're vibrating the seat, they're pulsing the pedal. Um, they're trying to test as many different All things as they can. Essentially subtle cues to kind of pull you back into the driving experience, right? Yeah, visual and auditory. And so we can make things a little bit more annoying for them. Uh, so that they take over sooner. So essentially, because the hard part is you want to, you know, you want to get people back into the driving experience and you don't want to freak them out. But at the same time, some people are pretty heavy sleepers, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, no, people are heavy sleepers. So if someone's sleeping, then you have to put all the bells and whistles on to yeah, wake them up. Right. But if somebody is reading, maybe that's not what you do because how close is their foot to the pedal, right? You don't want to scare them and cause an accident. So he says there's a lot of different things you you can do, but you have to really be paying attention to the driver's state to know which things to do. There's a nuance in how you design alerting systems uh, to get a person to re-engage without it being a nuisance. So nuisance alarms become our biggest enemy because if a driver begins, begins to mistrust the system because it's always uh, setting off alarms, they're not going to use the system or they're going to turn it off and not use it. So, um, One of the interesting alerts that he was talking about, though, is he actually went to a study in England where a professor is is trying to see how odors might alert someone. Like smells. And, and coincidentally, they use the wintergreen odor, and it it works. It doesn't annoy anybody, and the like car the can just. Thing you hang from your. From yeah, your I, th- I thought <laughs> oh, it was yeah, funny. It was wintergreen because isn't that like the one that's like the main, the main odor um, thing? Right, the standard, the standard car freshness smell. Yeah, that's the standard car car freshness smell, and it turns out that maybe it actually does play a role in keeping you awake, and you never even notice it. But 
it might be a little different if the car starts randomly emitting smells, yeah. but perhaps that's something we'll see in the future. Yeah. Things that don't uh, get the rest of the, the car uh, annoyed, because drivers don't like to be embarrassed by uh, things like alarms going off and their passengers thinking they're a bad driver. How close are they, I guess? Where, where, where are we in this problem? Like, is, are they figuring it out? Well, I think they're learning a lot of really great things. They're, they're, they're able to provide information on how a driver reacts, but it doesn't really get at the heart of the real issue. And that's that humans, even if you are paying attention, might not be paying attention. What do you mean? If we are trying to make an autonomous system to just cure the ailments of a human driver, what makes us think that it's safe to, to tell the, the human driver to stop paying attention and then randomly, once something bad is happening, we, we trust them to regain control. And McGee doesn't actually have the greatest like answer to that problem either. We have many, many cases where the driver is looking straight ahead, their hands are on the wheel, they're daydreaming. Uh, and so our vision systems tell us, our computer vision systems say, that driver is looking straight ahead. And we make assumptions about whether they're engaged or not. And all of us have experienced driving to work and all of a sudden we're back home or we're at work and we just sort of skipped across uh, in a time warp and have no recollection of what we just uh, experienced. But we were piloting a four or 5,000 pound machine uh, through fairly complicated traffic. Which is kind of a terrifying thought, right? But it's totally true. Sometimes we're driving and you're just cruising. Yeah, and say that he brings up, he explained to me later, you know, you we tend to overtrust the systems. So once you've trusted the system so many times and the, the vehicle tells you it's time to regain control, what, what tells us that maybe even if the vehicle is saying, hey, it's raining, it's time for you to regain control, your muscle memory might press that button, but maybe you're not ready to regain control, right? So passing that control back on could become another dangerous situation if they don't if they don't get this right, basically. That's great. Thanks for thanks for coming and talking to us, Ursula. Thank you for having me. Like I said at the top of this episode, I don't have all the answers. But I do know that the people you heard that called into the Blaine Fowler Morning Show most likely aren't going to be reassured anytime soon. Because let's face it, learning a new language is hard. Here's Dr. Patricia DeLucia, the Texas tech psychology expert we spoke with a few episodes ago. I mean, the thing about a new technology is that, um, you know, it's not what the person is using, right? So it's not part of their habit. It's not what they're familiar with. To make the change is difficult. And it all comes back to us. As humans, we are a messy, emotional, complicated species. But then again, we always have been. When it comes to the endless march of innovation, we usually muddle through and find ourselves more adaptable to new technologies than we ever thought we'd be going in. Here's how Kim Korth from Technoplus responded when I asked her if the company worries about being too far out. Yeah, you have to be careful because, and it's, it's, so when we talked about this conceptually until you saw it on the car, it was harder for people to figure out, well, you know, what's that actually going to look like? How is it going to improve my uh, vehicle experience? Once you see it in person, you begin to understand, wow.
This is the end of part one of our second season of Futurismo. Next time, we'll continue to try to understand this moment of transition in the auto industry by asking a question fundamental to the business case of any new technology. How the heck do you sell something so radically new? This episode of Futurismo was produced by me, Shraz Ahmed, and by Ursula Zarelli. We were edited by Sharon Silkardi and Tom Warabek. Shout out to 96.3 WDVD and the Blaine Fowler Morning Show for discussing self-driving cars. You can find more of their episodes at www.autonews.com WDVD. If you enjoyed the start to our second season, please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes. Or if you just want to say hi, shoot me an email at futurismo at autonews.com. That's F-U-T-U-R-I-S-M-O. Futurismo is a podcast by Automotive News, the leading publication in covering the auto industry. Check us out online at www.autonews.com or follow us on Twitter at automotive underscore news. We'll be back in two weeks with part two of our second season. Until then, well, I'll let this robot say goodbye for me. Thank you for listening to Futurismo. Aren't you glad we have better ways for computers to talk to you than this?